Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. It's your friend Rick, and today we have CJ Johal, who's the head of engineering at Anchorage Digital. CJ is a security engineer with more than two decades of experience in technical and project leadership. And most recently, he was the CTO of Clear, where we scaled the engineering team to the IPO in 2021. He's also been a leader at Amazon's Audible, eBay, and ZocDoc. For those of you that don't know, Anchorage Digital is a digital asset platform for investors. It provides crypto native financial solutions from custody and trading to staking, governance, and financing. Last publicly valued at more than $3 billion, Anchorage Digital serves some of the largest institutional investors and enterprise brands in the digital asset space. So thanks for coming on the show. CJ. That is some intro. I love it, CJ. Look at that. That's Not only do you have the red wall, you have the red carpet rolled out. This is big, man. This is huge. But in all seriousness, you have a really eclectic you know, skill set, different companies you've worked for. So maybe you could kind of give some advice to people, you know, people who are worried about their jobs, thinking about layoffs, hiring freezes, everything going on, you know, that. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll start from the beginning because it's, it, 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 for me, it was a great start to a career. I started with, a, a, at a large scale, defense industry company, right? Lockheed Martin. So that was my first job out of college. I looked at it. And I'm like, okay, I'm joining this huge company. I'm going to learn how to become a programmer and I'm going to become a, a software engineer through and through. And um, Lockheed Martin, uh, it, they have a tremendous variety of opportunities available to you. So what they do is they have leadership development. They have uh sort of projects that are super interesting. So for me, I dove right in, got put on a project that was really, I, I thought cool. I was actually working on a software program that was analyzing data from satellites to detect failures. And these are billion dollar satellites that are in space and I'm writing the so algorithm. You're, you're just out of college doing this by the way, right? I know, is- and I was like, this is amazing. So I was so excited about that went in for my first code review and Lockheed Martin at that time, their code reviews were, hey, there's a bunch of guys sitting across the desk from you. They put your code up on a screen and they start to rip it apart. And it was, I think a couple of hours and I went home, I think I called my mom up and I'm like, I think I got into the wrong business. They ripped me apart and it was demotivating. And I was like, I think I'm not good at this. And I, it was tough because they don't prepare you for feedback. They don't teach you how to take feedback. They, this was purely like, this code sucks. I can't believe you wrote this. I can't believe you did that. So it was very, you know, when you think about feedback, feedback, knowing how to receive it, but also how to give it. So it's not coming down condescending that way. No training on that. Literally my first job and I'm second, having second thoughts. My mom was like, you know, thick skin, it's part of Indian culture. You need to do this. You need to be, uh, think about things. I'm like, you know what? You're right. First step, misstep doesn't have to be the wrong step. And so I went back, just kept working hard, working hard. And 
while I was at Lockheed, I actually went and got my master's in engineering in parallel uh, while working full time. So it, uh, that was, I think, just motivated me to like, let's let me move forward right after Lockheed Martin and uh, learned a lot of great things. Uh, I looked to, to change jobs and I had an opportunity at a startup. And what was interesting is this was the first decision point in my career. And you're talking only two years out of college. Lockheed Martin, director of engineering, came up to me. He's like, love your energy, love your skills. We want you to stay. If I gave you a blank check for title, management, whatever you want, what would you do? My response to him was, I appreciate it, but I'm too young. I want to learn. So no, I'm not going to manage. I'm not going to take that blank check opportunity. I need to still learn, hone my craft and art before I learn how to become a leader. You need to know your skill. And two years out of college, I made that decision and most people would jump at that opportunity. I said, no, I need to make sure I am good at what I do. Joined a startup, uh, half.com whirlwind. I mean, I joined three months later, eBay bought us and was now not just at a fast-paced startup, but eBay. And there we, I learned engineering to a T, like you learn scale, you need hard uh, skills around this. And it was very delivery focused. Um, so I, I learned my craft well. After about uh, four or five years uh, or so at eBay, um, I wanted the actual opportunity to lead and manage and they gave me the opportunity to lead a team. Uh, but at that time at eBay, they decided, uh, they did not believe in remote managers. So for me to actually get a manager title, I had to move to San Jose or um, just manage the team without the title. So I did that. I was like, all right, I don't need the title. I'm not, I'm not ready to move. So I led and learned the skills of managing a team in India, small team in the US, just being a lead engineer uh, for, for a year or so. And what I told my boss was like, hey, let me show you my skill. Let me show you that me being remote is not a challenge. And if I prove my worth in 12 months, make me a manager. He agreed. I delivered everything on my part. He was not able to make me a manager. Ooh. Again, HR policies, those types of things. It was a setback. And I said, you know what? I'm not sure what to do. So I actually, a couple of friends reached out. I joined, I decided to do my own startup. So I left eBay and went to do a startup, Diac. It was a online recruiting platform. Great experience. It was not a success, uh, but I learned everything because I was the founding CTO. For me, I learned how to do every aspect of the system. So database, network, you talk about all the hard skills, I learned it holistically. And it was a great experience for me because I became well-rounded. The startup ended up not being successful, but I ended up like, okay, I need to take a break. I've been in the fast paced world for quite some time. I decided, uh, let me go join a financial services company and learn at a little bit of a slower pace. And it was interesting. I, I joined this company, uh, Delaga Landon, their capital leasing. Uh, and uh, two things there. One, I took a pay cut, which was unheard of at that time. But I was like, I wanted to learn from 
an established leader. I really liked the, uh, the leader there. Um, yeah, her name was Christina Benedetto, and uh, she, uh, you know her approach to understanding financials, managing up. I, I wanted to learn, so for me, joining uh, that was a, more of a learning opportunity, uh, and the ability to formally manage five, six people on a team was important because in my startup, like no one's giving me feedback. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're just running it. Everyone's heads down executing. You're not learning true leadership because no one's telling you, Hey, HR is not there to say, Hey, you messed up. You did this wrong. So going into a formal environment was important. Um, this is where actually I learned management of people the right way and uh, hit rock bottom as well. <laughs> I was, uh, so I was at Delano Landon for about a little over two years and about a few months in, I remember this distinctly because it was a low point in my career. Um, I was coming home from dinner, had a employee call me, um, probably a little inebriated, but <laughs> was upset and literally cursed me out and said, you are the worst manager I have ever had. And I was bullish. I was cocky, young, and I'm like, okay, what is it? And he said, all you do is tell us to execute, do, do, do. You never thank us. You never appreciate us. And I said, you know, if you want a cheerleader, go find someone else. I'm here to get a job done. And I hung up. And next day, that employee, without a job lined up, quit. And that was my low point. I realized that I could not be a leader the way I was a software engineer. You can't just execute. You can't just do things one way. So um, I spent a lot of time like retroing myself and saying, okay, you've, you've, you kind of don't know how to manage and lead. <laughs> so I spent uh, actually I left Alagalandin and uh, joined eBay as a manager and rejoined eBay. Uh, they had just bought a company, GSI Commerce in King of Prussia. I joined there and I spent two and a half, three years reprogramming myself. I read every leadership book, every EQ book, everything that I could do. I scripted my one-on-ones. I made sure that I spent five to 10 minutes before each one-on-one -on -one to say, Hey, this is so-and-so, ask her about her family, ask her about her dog, ask her about her kids. This made sure that I was just reprogramming myself because I was an engineer with someone who had grown, raised by my grandfather who was from a military background. So like connecting emotionally was not a skill that I had, but I had to program it. So I spent three years just doing that and became a leader who could lead with empathy, lead with compassion. And I think it was a, a turning point in my career because I joined eBay in managing a team of five to six engineers. In a year and a half, I was managing 400 plus. Wow. And uh, I learned now I had to learn a different skill, which was not just managing teams, but managing leaders, which is a whole different bar. And it was interesting because uh, I, again, had some setbacks. I'm very technical. 
I dive deep and I expected everyone to be exactly like me. That's a falsehood. You can't expect everyone to be exactly like you. You have to understand the strengths and weaknesses and play off of those. But I didn't realize that. So everyone that was not like me, I managed them out. And while I, I was able to execute, I was able to deliver, I was able to gain the respect of engineering, I didn't actually learn how to manage diverse uh, people who came in bringing different sets of skills to the table and how do I balance their strengths and weaknesses rather than just look for the one unicorn each time. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's, it's really not your failing a low point. It's just the management team at your company should have took you aside and said, hey, we think highly of you. You're a great technician. You're a great engineer. Let us help you with the softer skills and let's work on it. But they did it. So as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 25-year-old, 26, even a 30-year-old, like that's hard to figure out on your own whilst doing all the work. You know what I mean? So just, just for what it's worth from the outside, not to take it to heart and let it buy it. Because I think this is more of a failing of what goes on with a lot of these companies. I agree. I think that that's one of the things that I've focused on quite a bit recently in my career is that um, make sure every leader has the basic tools in their tool belt. Yes. That you need to provide them with that and then expect them to, to step up. But if you don't give them the basic tools, you cannot expect them to, to lead. Um, but continuing, I just, so I, at eBay, I got to a point where I was executing, but I actually felt I was too far just executing, not being strategic, not getting in. My passion is still technology. That what's keeps, that's what keeps me going. So um, at that point, Amazon Audible's division of Amazon reached out uh, and said, hey, Greenfield Opportunity, come build something for us. And I said, you know what, let me go try this. Tried it, and what was interesting is they were like very, very early. And um, I'm, I joined, and about I think a month in, I told them, I said, I think I'm going to leave. They're like, why? I said, I think you hired me too soon. The project's not ready. The product's not ready, and I'm not a person who's going to spend my time 10% allocated towards you. I, 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 I'll, if this was too early, I'm fine with walking away from you. You don't want to do fake work and like vanity projects or vanity work. All no, so, people talk about now, right? So they, um, the, this, the CIO of the division, he appreciated that. He's like, give me 30 days. I said, sure. So I gave them 30 days and they handed over the platform to me, like the API platform portion. So, um, there were some technical challenges learned. I think Amazon has a great culture of teaching. Uh, learned the technical side, learned, uh, was able to have the tools for my leaders that reported into me to, uh, to understand how leading and managing is. What was interesting is uh, from there, um, ZocDoc lured me away. And ZocDoc, it was a growth opportunity, scaling up. Um, when I joined, ZocDoc, they wanted to go towards more operational lean and I wanted to be in a growth environment. So we decided to separate ways. And it was tough because I remember this, uh, the president asking me, like, is this the right fit for you? And I said, I'm not sure, but let's go and come back. And uh, we both like kind of arrived at the same decision that this was not the right fit. 
So um, went to join actually Clear. And uh, at that point, I was at that uh, VP, SVP level for a, uh, a small startup. And at Clear, there was a huge opportunity for a company that was uh, looking to become more product engineering driven, looking to become a, a, a platform and a technology company and wanted someone to come in and grow scale and of course help with that uh, culture change. So uh, I'd never done, to be honest, culture change like that before. So it was like an interesting challenge and um, joining Clear, five months after I joined Clear, the pandemic hit. So a company where it's 90 plus percent of its revenue <laughs> was coming from the travel space and the pandemic hits and it's like, oh wow. So you see headwinds and um, Luckily, cash flow positive company had uh, uh, savings to endure the pandemic, but allowed us to replatform. Uh, but this is where I actually had like a lot of lessons learned on um, hiring leaders and what to look for. How do you how do you balance strengths and weaknesses of leaders? I made some hiring mistakes, and you know that happens, but. It's humbling to be a part of an organization that gives you the opportunity to become the CTO, invest in leaders, make mistakes, and make you allow you to learn from those mistakes too. So for me, I got that opportunity at Clear. Clear was a whirlwind because it went public. So I went from uh, you know joining as the VP of engineering to CTO to taking the company public as a CTO. Um, with Clear, I felt like I'd gotten to a point where technology platform was getting to a maturity level. They were looking for next level of global growth and I was looking for kind of the next technology challenge. So um, Anchors Digital came along, very similar startup story where they wildly successful were growing, wanted to come, have someone come in as head of engineering to bring maturity to um, their organization. And for me, one thing that bodes well for me is that um, I've been at every scale of company. <laughs> I've, been, I've done the 15, 20% person startup that I had my own, eBay, Amazon, ZocDoc, Clear. <laughs> so you, you look at this and now I wanna tell you the, the method behind the madness of my career choices. So one thing that I did is uh, a friend of mine once told me, he was an executive at Delaga Landon, and he told me, he's like, hey, I try to change every three to four years, industry, company, something like that, because it gives me a different challenge. It allows me to stretch different muscles. And instead of different companies, I actually made it a, a, a passion of mine to say different industry each time. So I went from like, HR recruiting platform, financial services, to e-commerce platform, to media company, to healthcare company, to biometric security company, and now to crypto. So every two to three years, I changed this industry. What this uh, changed my industry, what that allowed me to do was a few things. One is based on the scales of companies I was at and based on the industries, people cannot say that I don't know how to lead the size of company that they're looking for or the industry because I've shown I can be successful regardless of those two.
that's definitely a very interesting, unique way of looking at it. Because most people, I think, would be chasing the money, right? They would be chasing, okay, where am I going to get the most bucks? I'll stay wherever if they're going to pay me. Or become a manager and then manage more people and more people, more people. But it sounds like you really pursued more of an intellectual bet. Like, you know, what can I learn? You know, how can I better myself? How can I challenge myself? Which is an interesting way where a lot of people, I got to tell you, a lot of people don't go that way. They're looking, how can I be a manager? How can I make a lot of money <laughs> and all that? I, it, it's interesting. I still love interviewing. Um, and I was interviewing someone when I think they were at ZocDoc interviewing and I, they asked me, they're like, well, here's the dollars I'm getting at Bloomberg. I'm like, okay, but here's what I can offer you. I can offer you this base, but I can offer you an opportunity to grow, have impact and develop as an individual and an engineer. I said, you can chase money. There's gonna be companies who will always pay you what you want but they're not going to necessarily make you a well-rounded individual and impact if you care about impact and that's what i chased i chased impact every single time and i think people start to conflate a couple things they think like title and impact go together they don't you can put you can be a software engineer five years out of college and you can put cto on your title on linkedin no one's going to know the difference but can you know how to make that impact of a CTO? That will, that's the main difference. It's not the title. It's what you bring to the table. And I always tell people like, you know, if you try to negotiate title as part of the interview, you're actually already starting off on the wrong foot. CJ, what, what is the kind of impact that a CTO should make? It, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I, my leadership style is situational. My approach to being a CTO is also situational. Like there's companies that are at different stages and they need different things. And an example uh, here at uh, Anchors Digital, they need maturity. They need how do we, how we've grown quite a bit from a hiring perspective. How do we scale productivity to match that hiring growth? How do we mature our processes to get there? Um, the strategy and vision for the company is set. Uh, the technology strategy is also fairly well-defined. So from that perspective, I didn't need to flex the technical strategy muscle. I need to strike uh, the more organizational and process muscle here versus uh, at my previous company at Clear, definitely a lot more technical. So we were hiring and growing, but really the biggest challenge was how do we have a technology strategy to go from A to B? So, and... You know, those, so each situation, I think the CTO has to assess um, what do they, what does the company need and apply that appropriately. And it doesn't mean, Jack, you have to have everything coming with you. Uh, if I am, for example, a, a, a strategy person versus an execute, the company needs someone to execute, you make sure you hire the people who can execute. And, okay. and a lot of CTOs feel like they need to do everything themselves. You don't. You have to make sure you have your, your leadership team that can fill those gaps. So if I'm a, like a senior software engineer and, mm -hmm. and I'm deciding between kind of two career paths, whether to go down the 
manager route or, or, or try to become like a super individual contributor and, and, and become like a, a staff software engineer, you know, it, it seems like looking from your career arc, you knew early on that, you know, you were presented with a blank check at Lockheed Martin, right? Title, project, money, anything that you wanted. And, and you had the maturity to, to step away and, and go somewhere else, right? And so can you, like my hypothetical senior software engineer, like what are the things that they should be thinking about in terms of the skills that they should be building, the questions that they should be asking themselves before they go down one route or the other? It's a great question. And I, for me, uh, I break it down into a, a couple of things. One is the number one thing as a budding leader, as someone who is emerging uh, as in leadership, you have to earn the trust of the people you're leading. That is, in my opinion, table stakes. You, People have to respect you and you have to earn their trust. And if you're gonna do those two things, establish those two things, you have to have the skill. Engineering is such where if I am not, don't bring some level of hard skill knowledge to the table, it's hard to earn the trust and respect of the engineering. So I do think that people who are looking at that, make sure that you have mastered your hard skills well enough so that you can command trust and respect. And I think that the other side is your soft skills. One thing that I, I feel, you know, uh, this is, I read this is um, authentic relationships are the best. And Building an authentic relationship is hard. So you have to learn the soft skills so that I can reconnect with you at the right level so that when I give you feedback, you know I'm saying it because I want you to succeed. And that's a big difference. And I think everyone has read books about radical candor and the how to give feedback, etc. But what they a lot of these miss is that that authentic relationship building starts up front and only then can you be radical, radically candid. Only then can you be critical about feedback. I, I think that I've had some of the hardest conversations with people, but they know when I give a lot of that feedback, it is out of their best interest. It's because I wanna see them succeed. I always tell people that I guarantee the company is going to get value out of you. What's the value you're getting out of the company? That's feedback, that's growth, that's impact. So when a leader gives feedback, make sure is that feedback that is gonna give you growth. Because again, I as a leader, I'm getting my dollar out of you from programming. What's the reverse? And I, another thing I, I, I do, Rick, is a, it, this is an interesting concept that I have applied throughout my career. I still do this to, to, to this day, and I tell everyone that um, reports into me to do this. Uh, every December, I update my resume. Every December, still, because I want to look at what have I accomplished. It's fresh in your mind when you retro the year, what's fresh, what, what did you do? Now, when you're emerging in your career, especially as a senior engineer, all the way to even emerging leaders like senior managers, directors. Um, when you do that, ask yourself a few questions. One, 
Do I like what I accomplished this year? Two, is my career headed in the right direction where I want it to go? Three, would I hire the person that's on this resume? If there's no to any one of those three questions, you got to go talk to your manager. Got to talk to that leader and say, hey, here's the thing that's misaligned. And now allow them to get, give the, uh, have them give them the opportunity to address that with the gaps. The reason why I say I do it every 12 months is because next year, when you do it again in December, if you say no to the same question, your leader did not listen and did not present the opportunity. Now you know the company is not looking out for you. Now the company is not, they're getting value out of you, but you're not getting that same value back because of what you wanted. You can start to look. Why? Because now maximum 12 to 13 months off track. Versus people who spend years in a job off track and then realize, oh, I'm off track and I didn't even know I was off track. CJ, let me ask you this. And Rick, I'm curious about your thoughts too. Tell me uh, if I'm kind of off base, but it seems you're coming from a space, CJ, of confidence and, and you've mastered your craft. So it seems like you're able to, to you know, look at your resume and say, hey, you know, I'm looking at three different points. If I'm not happy, I'm going to do it. What about somebody who is smart, but not at the top of their game? Are there ways they can do it? Because it sounds like you have the ability to choose yeah. what to do, where to go, who to work with. But a lot of people don't. Like, how is it that they just have to master their craft or are there other ways? I, I think there is, if you, you can still apply the same approach, yeah. right? If I'm a s software engineer and I'm saying, hey, um, my goal is to go down the IC track, right? That's what's passionate for me then you should look at it and say, okay, the IC track, what does the IC track mean? IC track means that I'm, I'm getting deeper uh, into programming, I'm programming harder concepts, and I'm helping with lead architect design, et cetera. So when you do your 12 month December checkpoint, you should say like, okay, am I progressing? Was I put on a hard project? Did I de drive design or something? And if I didn't, I can go to my manager and say, hey, give me a design opportunity even if it's paired with someone, allow me to get that exposure for design because I want that on my resume. I want to be able to market. And guess one thing that managers and leaders should absolutely appreciate on this is that listening to the person and meeting them with their ask means retention. If I am getting everything out of my current company, they're progressing my career, I will not look to leave. See, that makes a lot of sense. So what you're saying is that you don't have to be the best of the best of the best, but you're on a learning curve so that yeah. if you're an individual individual contributor, whether it's tech or any other industry, to say, how can I do the best job I can? And if yeah. I'm not, I should go to my boss, my manager, others and say, how can I get to that next level? How can I learn new things? So you could ultimately get to the point where you want to do and you, where you can call your own shots and you can decide where to go. So you just have to be the best version of yourself at that particular time and keep leveling up, I guess. Right. Is that. Yeah. And, and it, 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 there's different paths to get there, which is, I think, why this this 
this 12th every December resume retro question applies because I don't want to sort of minimize people who spend years at a company because they may be loyal, dedicated, they're happy with what they're doing. That's great. But make sure you're still relevant. I've seen too many people who spend five years, 10 years at a company and suddenly they're like, oh, I may be at risk because of a reduction in force. I may be uh, just wanting to uh, life situation changes. So I have to look for a different job. And suddenly my skills are not up to date. I may not be market relevant. So you can be in the same company and accomplish that with this very simple approach. And, and, and it's interesting because I, some of the more, uh, I think, harder, challenging uh, individuals that I've managed weren't able to always articulate what they valued. So you're not able to, you're, you're not able to quickly say, oh, uh, there's no stepladder here, right? It's, it's like you have to carve a unique path. So uh, I remember one individual uh, at Amazon and they, in the end, after like several conversations, I realized the biggest driver for them was recognition. It was not the dollar, it was not the challenge, but they wanted to be acknowledged. So I made sure there was a path to that, that at an all quarterly all hands, they got their name called out those types of things because and, and so i think from a leadership perspective it is some individuals do not know the path i had an, a, a, an individual once who 100 percent wanted to be a manager my instinct all the data pointed to me saying no this is he's a better individual contributor guided them but they were adamant because in their head it was programmed by society, by corporate America. Be a manager, then a manager, and more manager. Salary goes up, and that's the ladder. And I told him, I said, okay, that's fine, but here's the things you must hit and establish to show. And by the way, here's what you do for an IC path. Here's what you do for a management path. And they chose the management path. And I'm listen, I'm going to be supportive. I want, but where I think they would have become, gone to that next level on the IC path in 12 months, it took them two years to become a manager. And after I left Amazon, I found out about a year, year and a half later, they reverted back to the IC path. And um, sometimes you need to allow a person to make that mistake, allow them to, to learn from that, but it's a tough transition back from, from leadership to IC. But for me, the main point is that I think you have to always understand what motivates the individual and your job as a leader is to help them navigate that. Not everyone knows, not everyone is aware what drives them. So if it's, if someone is looking to become a leader purely because of compensation, you should as a leader find out that's the driving factor and show them a path on the IC side that can get them the same compensation. Yeah, that's a really smart observation because if somebody just wants recognition and the company doesn't offer that, that person and the person could be amazing and they're just going to feel so frustrated. They're not even asking for more money. They're not asking for a management position. All they want to do is say, hey, CJ, thank you. You know, you did a great job. You, did, you, you were wonderful. You did a great presentation, whatever it may be. 
And, and that's the, kind of the easiest thing to do. You mentioned early in the conversation about table stakes. That's the easiest table stake, yeah. just to be nice and acknowledge, right? So yeah. we've got to kind of hone in on that. We, it's, I think, one of the things that prevents leaders from being amazing. Because I, do, I truly do believe that every person who is in a leadership role could be amazing. Um, is that time. And the, the, because if you're allotted the time, if you make the time to retro, to look at things and make yourself better, you will become a good leader. You will invest in, in and you'll make the right decisions. But a lot of leaders get caught up. And I did this early in my career, just executing. I'm going to spend 40 hours a week just executing, getting the job done, not realizing that leadership is not just getting the job done. It is cultivating the careers of the people under, that report into you. And you, we don't prioritize that. So if you're not going to prioritize even 10 to 15 percent, I, I use this example, Jack. I, I ask people who want to further their career. I said, OK, how much do you invest weekly in yourself? Just give me t uh, like time and they're like reading, whatever, investing in yourself. And most people will answer like zero. And if. What makes you think that without investing some amount of time in yourself, you're going to progress? You spend 40, 50, 60 hours in a job. Apply 10% towards yourself. 10% is all I would ask to invest in yourself, both leaders and individuals. And, and you'll be amazed. Now, if I work 50 hours a week, I'm now seeing five hours of intellectual stimulation and growth. Which is nothing myself. in the scheme of it, right? Exactly. But people don't do it. They expect that growth to come just because I'm working 50 hours a week doing my job. It's not how it works. On the topic of like promotions and like leveling up, did you find that it was easier to kind of level up professionally by switching industries, switching companies, or, or, or staying at the same company? Um, that's a great question. Actually, my, when I look back at it, my promotions came uh, at the companies that recognized my performance. So I think that when you look at it, um, this is what, what which makes it tricky, right, to, to, to answer the question. If I'm performing at a senior software engineer level, my company doesn't see it, that's on the company. If I'm not performing at a senior software level, like that's the thing is if, uh, if I'm performing at a senior software engineer level, yes, I can probably pass that interview for a senior software engineer. So it's not really a promotion. It's what you were at. <laughs> so I, I think you, there's two things that people conflate. It's that what your capability is, where your performance is at, and are you actually at that title and level or not? And uh, for me, I think title chasing is is getting boring in the industry, to be honest. Uh, there's corporate career ladders that are this many deep, that whatnot. Um, I'm, at, at Anchorage Digital, we take a very different approach. There's not levels. You're a member of technical staff and your compensation and equity changes based on impact. That's really interesting. Wait, so so it's not like you have level X, level Y, whatever. It's Everyone your all member, huh. of, member of technical staff. And, and then you just have to prove have, yourself. 
Yeah, and, and of course we have ways to evaluate, but the right. thing is when a leader sees that someone is starting to, is stepping up and, go, and making a bigger impact, they submit a, re, a request for recognition of, of their contribution and appropriately a compensation change. I love, this is a, a, an approach that Anchor Digital had already established. I love it. I bought, you know, <laughs> lock, stock, and barrel. I was, I was on board because in my career, I've seen so much career ladders and career ladder chasing. I had an individual who wanted to be promoted and literally would meet with me every quarter only talking about <laughs> How do I get promoted? How do I get promoted? And I'm like, you're focused. And I would tell him, you're focused on the wrong thing. Here's the things you need to accomplish. You accomplish those things. Everything will happen organically. Have the impact. That's such a, an interesting, different twist on it. So basically, the theory is this. Rick and Jack are going to really work our butts off to be the best we can be. So then we can go in and just show our work and... The managers will say, yes, we're going to give you, you know, more money, more compensation, whatever, because you guys are killing it and we yeah. want to keep you. And we want to make you happy as opposed to having to chase a specific ladder and decide, you know, to go the management route or whatever it may be. You could just be the, really good at what you do and exceed expectations and then you get rewarded for it, which actually makes more sense than anything, doesn't it, in a way, right? It, 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 it makes a lot of sense, though. It is hard to execute because the 99% of the industry does not work that way. Yeah. So when you hire people, they're like, well, what's my next level up? <laughs> what do I do? Where do I sit in the, I'm like, no, you don't sit anywhere in any ladder. You make impact, you move up. Because when this, this society puts us in that way. It's like you go yeah. to a party, right? What are you? Oh, I'm a vice president of this. I'm like, you lead, not with like, I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a, you know, a cat owner. It's more of, I'm a VP of, you know, finance, I'm a this. And you get so boxed into it. That's how you think. You just, it's, society does put you in the, have you guys seen that thing with something with law firms where they're asking like the minimum what to do? It's like insane what to do. <laughs> Just so you can have bragging rights that I'm at a top law firm, but like the life quality is just horrendous. It's, it's this measurement by some level of the weird um, metric. And people have to understand, I'm, I'm an engineer. Metrics can be false positives. <laughs> You're supposed to have a contextual view of that metric so you understand what is truly going on. I really appreciate that advice because I, I think there's this trap. I, I certainly got into it early in my career yeah. where I found ladders to be incredibly helpful, right? Where it, it, it gave me this template and there was this comfort in, oh, well, as long as I basically check off every single box, yeah. I know I can't fail, right? When when I have no clue and no guidance, I, I, I can just go and, and look at this template when I'm filling out my self-evaluation, I'm mirroring the language, you know, I'm trying to say, hey, you know, at this performance, at this level requires this and this and this. And in the last six months, in the last 12 months, I did X, Y, and Z exactly, right? Like, please our, move me up that ladder, right? <laughs> and we're taught this way. Our, our, our right. people at Anchor Digital, uh, Stephanie, she, she actually kind of, explained it best is like if career ladders corporate ladders were meant to be successful 
then all humans would all fall into one bucket and we all would be measured the same way. We're all individuals. Right. So our paths are going to be unique and who best to know your path than your direct leader who can have that conversation with you and then chart the right impact, chart the right path, create that custom career for you. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right, right? Because looking back earlier in my career, I would get frustrated in terms of how fast the promotions were happening. And, and looking back now with this kind of hindsight, I was thinking, well, I wasn't demonstrating impact at all, right? Because I was just mirroring what I thought the career ladder said for my role, for my industry, for my function. And I yep. was just so focused on what was tactical if my manager asked me, well, what did I contribute to the business or the team? I, I would struggle, right? Because I was stuck in that paradigm of, well, I, I'm like level two and I did enough projects where that's, that's the expectation for a level three. So just slot me into level three, right? And it, I, I couldn't in plain English explain in the last 12 months what I did that was truly meaningful from a business perspective right outside of my role outside of my team and and that gets that even more struggle. and that gets even more complicated the more you move up so right i remember um at ebay uh, I, I really hope they don't have this process anymore but for <laughs> you to get from a software engineer to a principal engineer your manager had to write up this document and literally like a panel of people would read the document, ask questions, and they who panel who probably 99% of them have never interacted with you decide whether you're up you become a principal engineer or not. I would flip that <laughs> to say, let me take CJ's manager and coach them to use the right judgment and be calibrated on that. And then when they put CJ up for promotion, it works versus this panel that adjudicates a decision because you're not calibrated right. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And I don't know if eBay still does this, but unfortunately I know of many of the largest tech companies that do exactly that, right? Yeah. Where they have promotion panels, they have compensation committees, right? Where uh, they, they even separate whether you're going to get promoted from how much of a raise you're going to be. And you have two panels to decide. And your manager does have to create this like sweeping presentation or packet. And yeah. it's just a waste of time at the end, right? And, and that's the thing that I, I remember writing those, authoring those docs at, at Amazon. <laughs> and they had to stand alone and they had to be great and wholesome and whatnot. And I'm just, as I went through all that effort, what about just simply trusting my judgment? No, Imagine no, the overhead. If they just spent time calibrating at the <laughs> leadership level, the amount of cycles they would save in dollars <laughs> could be probably millions. Oh, guaranteed. Now, <laughs> I mean, you, you've gotten, you have quite the impressive career arc. I mean, what was the promotion that you were the most proud of? Oh, well, I, I think um, there's two of them, um, but one, I think when I moved from uh, senior manager to director at eBay, um, because the impact was, was, was huge. And it, uh, to be honest, uh, I worked my butt off for that uh, promotion. And there was a six to seven month period 
where I was working 60 to 70 hours uh, to ma uh, manage about four, five, six projects in parallel to demonstrate that I was capable. But that's wow. what it took. It took that effort. So I was proud of that accomplishment. Um, I think the second one, which was like for me, I, I've always been someone who's very honest and direct. Um, it was uh, it was an unexpected promotion. So when I was at Delago uh, uh, Landon, I joined as a manager, and they promoted me. They did a big reorg, and in that reorg, the objective was to go from like 40, 50 middle management to about 20. And I was the newest and youngest middle manager. So an average tenure was, I believe, 12 years. Wow. So I was like, I'm screwed. So I was, that's when I was like, all right, mid-year, let's dust up the resume. Let's <laughs> be ready to go because I know I'm not lasting. And I went for that res interview and I said, here's what you do wrong. And I wouldn't do any of this. I would change it this way. I would change it this way. And they literally like, we like his fresh ideas. We like his different approach and we're keeping him or promoting him to director. Wow. So literally non-conformity being me <laughs> uh, got me that promotion. Uh, so I, I was very, I was pleasantly surprised at that. Unfortunately, it didn't work out because uh, it was interesting. I was promoted to director, but my hands were tied on decisions. And when I, it was, I literally resigned, I think four weeks after being promoted. Uh, I'm, I, I'm one thing that I do is I tell people, I was like, listen, uh, live by your standards, your moral standards, your ethics, because uh, you got to sleep good at night. And there was an individual they wanted me to hire. I was not bought in. They pushed it. And I, I told, literally, interesting story. I told my boss, you must send an email in writing saying, I am overriding CJ to hire this individual because this person is not my hire. I do not agree. They did. I responded saying, I quit. Wow. How big was this guy? How big was that employee? That he, he was going to be a, he was going to be a direct report of mine. He right. had been in the company for, uh, I think, 25 years. And um, theory wise was great, but in practice did not know all the things that I needed that, yeah. that role to be. And if you did 25 years, you probably thought he knew everything too. Probably. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> One thing that I didn't realize, and this is why I think transparency, honesty matters. When, after I left, they told me that, oh, we wanted to keep that individual because it was a one year severance for every five years worked. So if you did not keep him, we would have had to pay five years salary and we didn't want to do that. I'm like, information that could have helped day one. <laughs> <laughs> they could tell you before, just put him in a different area. That's it. Exactly. exactly. I, over. <laughs> but the funny things you run across in corporate America. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate your advice because to sum it up, it, it seems like the best way to really get promoted is to understand the tools that you have in your toolbox. Yeah. One, two, just never compromise your own personal ethical values, right? Even when it can be tempting, even when someone presents you a blank check, dangles a fancy title, pay, 
a cool industry or project, but it, it's so important to really stay authentic. And through that, demonstrating that authenticity, that good judgment, that's that's actually where you can demonstrate the impact and make a difference. Yeah, I, I would add one more thing. Maybe be aware of your limitations. Like for me, a lot of opportunities that are presented early, people jump on them because they don't know their limitations. And I, one thing that I love to do is like demonstrate you're capable, then take the role. Wow. It's, so it's not a matter of just thinking that that role or that title or that project is going to be that unlocking kind of catalyst. Yeah, I, I've... I firmly believe, and, and this is why a lot of people that used to report it into me in the larger companies would be like, don't report to CJ's org. Promotions are tough. Yes, because I want to see you successful. So I'm going to make you demonstrate for three to six months that you're capable before I promote you so that you are not, I'm not having to put you uh, on a performance plan if they have official one or have critical feedback right after promotion because you're not stepping up to the basic bar. I think optimistic promotion kills an organization. Wow. No, I, I appreciate that like willingness to kind of be sometimes unpopular, but setting your people up for success and making sure that they're capable and can continue to be successful going forward. I really love that lesson, CJ. Appreciate it. I, I hope that it resonates with people because it's something I truly believe in. And people have to understand that, you know, it's the, it's the bumps and bruises you get through your career are the ones you learn from, not the success. When you're successful at something, you already know how to do it. <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Thank CJ. Thank you so much, CJ. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. That's it for The Blind Ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.